There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. An Elio's Original. When I talk about abortion with folks, when they say like, you know, what do you think the most egregious laws are that come down upon abortion restrictions? I often say, I think the waiting periods are the most dangerous because what that's doing is creating within societal norms, a mistrust of the decisions that women and people make. Hi, this is Margaret Cho. You're listening to The Margaret Cho. Today we have an amazing comedian, activist. She created The Daily Show. She's Liz Winstead. Hi, Liz. Hi, Margaret. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to talk to you at length instead of in that convoluted we have two seconds to talk, and we're going to talk for two seconds, like know, we did so, at the. Way too fast. How's, how's your How's your um, How's your quarantine? You know, my quarantine has been better, probably than most people, because I'm lucky. You know, but it's weird to be. I'm alone, mm-hmm. and so it's um, it's been kind of like, how do I describe it? Um, I'm okay with being by myself. Uh, but I do get a little bit stir crazy. I don't know about you, but focus has been super hard for me. And Mm. so reading books, which is something I can normally do all day long, like when I have self-imposed quarantine, I I have fine. But in this new world, I'm just sort of struggling to, to hit the page with my eyes and stuff like that. So it's okay. I understand that. I definitely understand that. I think it's really hard. I mean, books are even too difficult for me. Like, I have to go back. I can't even do movies, really. I have to go back. I can't even do color movies. I'll have to do, like, maybe animation. And then I'll have to do, like, sometimes I can't even do that. I'll have to do black and white movies and sometimes silent movies. And sometimes just pictures. And sometimes you just draw a turkey with your hand on a piece yeah. of paper. Sometimes maybe uh, like a flip book. I don't know. Like it's like a really, I, I can't follow. Like people are like, oh, I binged Ozark. I can't <laughs> even watch a television show. I really, I can't focus on anything. I feel you. you. Know? And what, what I have discovered is very interesting is, you know, my work is so politically charged and intense. 
that my release has been really like teen teen dramas and teen Ooh. things like Riverdale and okay. Elite and Ooh. Pen Fifteen. Oh, I and love Pen Fifteen. Have I ever? Oh. Uh, I'm just watching all of the teen angst that I can get. Euphoria. I haven't because I think it's too intense for me. Oh, I love, I love it. It's, it's watch it now great. Or yeah. I no, watch it now. Okay. It's so okay. beautiful. It's my favorite, but I love Pen15. I mean, it that makes me so excited. <laughs> I love it. I love going back to the John Hughes movies. Yes. Well, the, the soundtracks too. You know, um, I found in my COVID, um, what am I going to do with myself? I started cleaning out my closets and I found two massive boxes of cassettes and mixtapes from mostly the like late seventies in through the nineties. And so I've been going on Facebook and pulling them out at random and just having music conversations with people. Oh, wow. It's been really, really fun because I found shit like, like I have a copy of Elvis Costello live from the bottom line in 1977. Oh my God. Yeah. I've got like old soul asylum demo tapes. I've got some replacements demo tapes. I've got like this like old Husker Du, um, cassette that came out on their last tour that I never opened because I knew it was going to be worth something and then I have all these boyfriend tapes that I made and tapes that boyfriends made for me or guys that were trying to fuck me and that's been really interesting to see like what was I like in 1986 and what kind of mixtape would a guy make for me and it's like all over the map from like Etta James to like um, Nick Cave to Hank Williams yeah, so that's been really fun to like revisit that, but I don't have a I don't have a cassette player. <laughs> oh, so you couldn't listen? To, oh, so how how would you? I'm ta- I'm talking through them, and then what I've done is I've made Spotify. I've I've made um playlists on my on my iPhone oh. based on my cassettes. Oh wow, I see. Oh, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. So then, yeah. um, wait. So you know what I remember about you was that um. Janine Garofalo was telling me in the 90s that Bob Mould was staying with you in New York because uh, you guys were friends. And I think she was staying with you, too, at some point. Yeah. You were both staying. They were both staying at your apartment at some point in New York City. I don't I think you were actually living in the city. then. That's right. I was living in Manhattan. um, And then Bob was moving back from Austin, Texas Mm -hmm. to New York and needed a place to stay staying with me and I also he and Vic Chestnut and I did a bunch of dates together on his first solo record after um after the Huskers broke up it called Workbook and we did some opening dates with him and that was really fun too so yeah I mean I'm from Minneapolis and so all those um all those Minneapolis folks um we it was kind of a cool time to grow up in the early 80s because we were there was like the music scene and the comedy scene was 100% 100% intertwined, not unlike San Francisco and Boston. There was that right. that kind of mixture. And then we were all working day jobs at the same restaurants. And so we would cover each other's shifts for gigs and then subsequently also put each other on each other's guest list. So I never had to pay for music ever. Mm-hmm. And it was great. It was, And we were roommates together. And so it was a really cool cultural scene at the time. I, I, I really cherished that, actually. 
So who was there in Minneapolis in its, um, like, music and comedy-wise? Like, that's, like... So that's, um, it, in the early 80s heyday time, music-wise, it was The Replacements, Husker Du, Prince, um, Soul Asylum, the Jayhawks, um, and then kind of smaller bands that were sort of, there's, like, a big rockabilly scene and a big and a funk scene at the time. And then comedy-wise, it was... Um, Louis Anderson had just moved, but it was Joel Hodgson, Frank Conniff. Was it Tom Arnold? Was Tom that- Arnold. Tom. Oh, yep, Tom Arnold. Um, and then... Um, Mike Gandolfi, was that after? Mike Gandolfi, Harmon <laughs> Leon, Liz White. Um, oh, Liz yeah. is so great. Yes. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think who else at the time. Paul Dillery, Joe Keys, this um, smaller... Oh, go Chew Keys. Um, um- Oh, Paul Dillery was great. And Ken yes. Ballard. Ken Ballard. Ken Ballard. Yes, exactly. Um, oh, God. The Minneapolis guys. Uh, well, yeah. Mitch Hedberg, too. Mitch came a little bit later. A little later. Yeah. Mitch came a little bit later, but definitely out of that that same kind of scene. Probably Roger Rittenhouse as well. Yep. A little later. The, um, Denver. He, Roger was oh, Denver. Denver. Yep. Um, but we always got mixed up together with us Denver people and the Minneapolis people. We were always cross- uh, crust mm-hmm. yeah and Paul Dillery I forgot about Paul Dillery <laughs> I know right that was just this sweet scene and it's still got incredibly smart audiences and so it was really nice to grow fail um you could just fuck around in a town where no eyes were on you from the industry and then you got to meet folks to come through and then mm-hmm. work with them so you could develop relationships and your act in this really cool midwestern spot so when you wanted to move, you had a group of friends to come and uh, come in and then stay with, learn from. And it was pretty great. Wow. That was a, yeah, that I remember that there was actually like Janine did a joke about this is all like a joke from the 90s about how um, if she had there was a fire, a house fire that she all she had was like a mixtape. In a real, really, really matte red lipstick and like a replacement T-shirt, like <laughs> she would run out of her house with this. Well, like, it's funny because red lipstick I, and like replacement T-shirt with the, the first mixtape. That's all she I would ever um, perform like <laughs> outside of like you know the Minot, you know Des Moines, Madison, Wisconsin triumvirate. I went. Um, my one of my college roommates was a woman named Michelle Norris, who used to be the host of All Things Considered. But this was when she was just in college. And she did an internship at um, WGBH, which is mm-hmm. the uh, public radio station in Boston. So I, I flew out to Boston to drive her and her stuff back from college to mm. live, in, live in Minnesota. And I uh, went to an open mic. She helped me get on an open mic. And Dana Gould was hosting the open mic. And that was the first time, because the weird thing about Minneapolis, we didn't have a college radio station. So we didn't understand that these bands were so popular outside of the Twin Cities. So I went to this club Mm -hmm. called Stitches, which was next to the Paradise. And um, Dana Gould was like, you're from Minneapolis? Do you know these bands? And I was like, yeah, I work. That guy's a... A fry cook at the restaurant that I work at in my day job. That guy's my roommate. And he was like, what is happening to me right now? And I was like, 
how do you know these people? And they're like, they play it all the time on college radio. And I was like, oh my God. So when they actually go and do gigs in that shitty van, people come? <laughs> and he's like, yes, people come and love them. And so it was really funny to have this revelation. And I was like so excited for my yeah. friends that they were like, and I was like, God, they know you in Boston. And they're like, yeah, we told you that. And I was like, I know, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they were such a big deal. I mean, Minneapolis was such a big deal. And it, it, I guess it, it, it sort of seemed like a place that you wouldn't get to play because there wasn't also like a, a a regular comedy club that you would go to as much. So I don't know. Well, I guess there was like what comedy, there was a comedy works. Was there a comedy works there? There wasn't a comedy works. There was um, Acme or something like that. Well, Acme is there now, but I have never worked. I did that room one time. But that guy doesn't like me at all. He like hates me. He hates my politics. He hates me. So I've never performed there. But there was a club called the Comedy Gallery. Um, and the and it had great headliners. And I think the thing about Minneapolis was that it was like there were so many strong opening and middle acts that very rarely did a could you get booked there as a middle, you had to come in mm. as a, a headliner at the club. Mm-hmm. Um, and be able to like sell the club for five nights. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld was working for five nights and Jay Leno, like it was like that level. And so I think folks like you, like were all of a sudden, were, once you became big, you were working, I think, bigger rooms. I think you were doing theaters at that point and the clubs, yeah. were, you know, so it was kind of like that missed, that missed opportunity of missing a lot of folks who were up and coming, but I met, but I met folks who were of my, sort of stature um, by traveling to do gigs in like Boston and San Francisco. That's when I hooked up with everybody who was sort of on my level up and coming and then going out into the world. Yeah. It was like one of those things are like you, um, you wouldn't do a, I, like, I didn't do a lot of stuff there. Like I did like once, I think uh, at the, the women's building or something. And then- Oh, that's a great room. Yeah. Yeah, that, that place was a cool is great. One. The women's club. Yeah. I did that one and then I did something at like um in St. Paul and um but never really played um I think maybe the gay nineties once or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> you gotta do the nineties. I mean, God bless something. like like every town. Um mm-hmm. if it wasn't for quid the queer scene, I don't know yeah. where I would be. Yeah. You know, but now, but now, do you do a lot of like um, stand up shows? Like, I mean, before pandemic stuff, but like, do you do a lot of stand up shows in town? You know, I do the smaller little alternative rooms um, mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. You know, we have a monthly show with Abortion Access Front um, at the um, at Union Hall, and that's mm-hmm. and like so we that's really fun. Um, and then I'll do the Bell House, or I'll do. Little Field, or I'll do Who's Ever Got a Show someplace in some spot like that. Um, Caveat's a really nice room. Have you been to Caveat in the city? It's a really cool small room. And then when I go out on the road, if I'm not doing work with Abortion Access Front, I was talking to, a while back, I kind of swore off clubs because, A, I just don't want to do a second show Friday. And I just don't, like, if you're not going to market me, the way I need to be marketed, it's just going to be full of people who are not going to have a good time and they're going to hate it. And it's going to be the worst. So I started following sort of where people like Jill Sobule and smaller musicians were doing like three or 400 seat music venues. Um, And so I, I mostly do that. So I'll go to like, if I'm in Asheville, I'll do the great Eagle 
or yeah. in Burlington, Vermont, I'll do, there's a really cool, small, the Flynn set space. And so, you know, I just like to find those rooms and then just do those and then go on yeah. the local public radio station and kind of do it that way. Yeah, that's actually really smart. I mean, it's like there's different ways to do it. You know, it's like I love the way that um, Doug Stanhope does his like he'll he'll go and do that sort of like rock club thing or even um, David Cross does that, too. And Jill, Jill Sobiel's always like done stuff like that. Well, well, she'll like kind of find her groove, you know, whether it's like um, just figuring it out. And it, like a Frank Turner did that, too. Like it's just like the, there it doesn't have to always be the clubs and. Or uh, I like Maria Bamford was doing this thing where she would go to comedy clubs and play like um, the Monday at like mm-hmm. a seven o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love that. It's like, we're just going to do genius. a little early thing, you know, eat dinner at 530, get a coupon, come on down yeah. to the show. But I do. And I really like doing off markets because a like, I don't know. When you do political comedy and you can go to like Little Rock and do a small theater there or a small rock club, like those folks are so grateful to hear somebody with progressive politics to come and do a show because they they think that nobody thinks that they're out there and mm-hmm. they're there. You know, Jackson, Mississippi, there's a small but mighty group of folks who are fighting the fight. And, you know, the fact that they don't have to travel to Atlanta constantly to go see somebody they want or wherever they are at. Um, I just think it's, it's more fun and you really can talk to folks in a way and really learn about um, just culturally what they're up against and what they're fighting for. And that there's super good folks there in the world who deserve a show. I know. And who need it. And it's really, I mean, it's it's so important and, and it's like, it's just so disgusting right now what's happening. And I mean, of course, like these crazy people are going to like try to use whatever situation to push this crazy pro-life or anti-abortion agenda, whatever shit like the, the gro- grotesque thing of like saying my body, my choice around the pandemic nightmare. You know, like that is the most disgusting, stupid shit. That shit's crazy. Also, the thing that I <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about that. One of them is the poster or I saw guys who had the mask on, but they cut the mask out. So they were just wearing the rubber uh, to make a point. But also it is so obvious to me that these people spent two weeks with themselves. Yeah. And we're like, oh my God, I hate myself. I'm terrible. I need (laughs) to leave my home because I can't be alone in my own thoughts because introspection makes me have to evaluate who I am and I'm a terrible person also they're terrible they were these are the people who amass the guns and have the bunker and they're supposed to be the good at survivalist shit and it's like yeah all you did was the gun part you don't have food you don't have like the other shit you're just bad at like you're bad at the thing you say you desperately demand and so if you think you can shoot your way out of a pandemic or you're just mad because you can't get the refill on the big gulp, like, oh my God, your selfishness is just profound. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's so, uh, it's so sickening. I mean, after, um, after we did our um, Insta Live on uh, Abortion Front um, telethon, so I had a, like a bunch of like sort of trolley things kind of like, well, I'm a feminist and a bunch of feminists were killed during abortions. Like, <laughs> like, right. like what about their rights? Like that, you know, like when, you know, when you're killing a fetus, you're actually killing women. So what about those feminists? And it's like, well, wait a second, though. Hold up. Like, <laughs> but it's like, wait a second. Hold up. Like, it's just. It, it it's such a weird, it's kind of like the anti-vaxxers, you know, they're always the same. Like these weird, the weird, um, this, the weirdness of, uh, people who just won't be argued with. They won't be, they, they, the, the weird, like a high horse, it's a high horse and it's, um, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, they, they just can't, they, they, they can't be, um, you can't talk to them about it. They, they won't. Well, yeah, yeah. I, just, I just always am like when they're like life begins at conception I'm like a conception is not a medical term it's a term that comes from the bible but b like I don't I don't subscribe to your premise on any level and so when you say what about you know it's 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 a life with different d with different dna and it's like cancer has different dna like things have different dna and potential life and life don't have the same value. Your pregnancy, you get to decide the value of your own pregnancy. And if mm-hmm. the pregnancy that you have is a pregnancy that is unintended and not a pregnancy that you intend on carrying, then there is no mother, there is no baby. The intention is to no longer be pregnant. If you are pregnant and you're excited and you want to have a kid, you can put all the value on that pregnancy you want for yourself. And so it's interesting trying to have those conversations is almost next to impossible. I literally saw a guy outside of a clinic protesting when I was at a clinic who was wearing a t-shirt that had a fetus inside of a uterus and the fetus was wearing a handmade outfit. And I was like, do you realize that your shirt doesn't make sense? And he's like, it makes sense. I go, have you seen the show? And he was like, yeah, that's why I'm wearing that. And I was like, you know, in the show, nobody's lives matter. (laughs) <laughs> and he goes, this fetus life matter. And I go, no, no I gotta no, go. No, no. Like, I gotta go. <laughs> like, you went and bought that shirt. Like, I gotta go. I because can't. They don't understand the show. They don't understand. They don't no. understand. And they just want to, you know, make up their own rules just about, about life and about value and about pregnancy. And, and people are oftentimes like, are you just preaching to the choir? And I was like, A, we don't have a very big choir no. because people don't talk, speak about abortion very much. And even people who profess to be progressive and liberal, they often will say to me like, well, but, you know, can't we find common ground on abortion? And I said, at what point is the common ground? The common ground is my body belongs to the government. And at what point then do you think that my body doesn't belong to me? Because that's the compromise you're asking me to make. And that's a compromise that I won't make. And that's a fight that I will not stop fighting for every single person who has the potential to get pregnant. I just won't. So don't ask, don't act like it's a wedge issue or that I'm being a bother. The bottom line is the full humanity and autonomy 
of people lie in the fact that you get to decide when and if you want to have kids and how you want to do that. So, and that just expands to all autonomy. And it's maddening to me that people are mad that that's a focus. <laughs> yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting. Now, I, my, uh, my favorite abortion was actually the abortion that I got in New York City, which was the menstrual extraction, which I think is illegal um, in a lot of places. I don't see it anywhere anymore. Um, well, it's like some state, you know, it, I think it depends on if states that allow, and this is a, this such a bone of contention for me, is that like so many states don't allow like um, nurse practitioners or medical assistants or physician's assistants do abortion. Some states do and they should let, you know, qualified medical providers should be able to do abortions. And I think that menstrual extraction is like one of these great early um, ways to have an abortion that is safe and easy and convenient. And no, a lot of states don't allow it. Yeah. It's super easy. Like it's so like, I mean, it required no anesthesia no hospital state, no, um, you know, no S like, yeah, nothing, nothing, no drugs, no, um, no counseling, counseling, no driver home, no ride, like, you know, like no, no attendant, no friend to take me there, bring me back. Like there was nothing like when you have an abortion, you can't go by yourself. You know, like there's so much like put on a person when you go to have an abortion, like you you're treated like a child, yep. like you're treated like uh, you're going to be really upset. You're treated like all this like weird shit's going to happen. You can't be alone for the next 24 hours or whatever. Like it's this weird thing. Whereas menstrual extraction, you're like, uh, it's going to take about 15 minutes by and then it's like yeah. over. And then it, it, it it's it, you know. You go and have a whatever, coffee, whatever, it's done. Well, and that's the whole thing. It's like, who gets to decide what your abortion is? And and there's so much stigma and there's been so much societal, you know, feelings put on it that you don't even get to un unpack your own pregnancy. Automatically, there's an assumption that you're going to feel guilt. You're going to feel regret. You need someone to come with you. You have to do all this stuff. You have to pay in cash. There's a there's a bulletproof, yeah. you know, clear thing where you put your money. We won't take your insurance. Everything along the way is to take away your own feelings and decisions about right. what you want to do. And that part is so heartbreaking. And and so often when I when I talk about abortion with folks and and in longer situations when they say like you know, what do you think the most egregious laws are that come down upon um, res abortion restrictions? Um, I often say, I think the waiting periods are the most dangerous because what the waiting periods do is if you say to somebody, you know, uh, you need to wait 24 or 48 or 72 hours because we don't really need to think about it. You know, really mm -hmm. want you to think about it. What that's doing is creating within societal norms, a mistrust of the decisions that women and people make. And right. if we decide that w women are incompetent uh, at making decisions for themselves, that's going to translate into being incompetent about making decisions for other people mm -hmm. in a job. And so for me, it's like, fuck those waiting periods, man, because it, it, all of a sudden it's like, 
do I want to hire a woman? Are they confident? Mm-hmm. You know, and that shit just permeates, man. So yeah. um, I worry about those. I worry about that the most. Yeah, it really, it really is disgusting. And it's really, there's no purpose for it. It's like, what, what's the point of that? You know, there's no real, uh, there's no real purpose. I mean, there's no point. There's no point at all. There's no point to any of it. And it's all just designed to have shame. It's all designed to shut the clinics down. And it's all designed to create a narrative around abortion that is othering it into something that is not just a decision somebody might make in their reproductive life. And that's why I'm so just dedicated is because I want to try to swing the pendulum back, have the conversation so that the, the opening salvo can shift and so that people don't feel afraid to talk about their abortions if they can and can have some tools and understanding around the conversation so that we're not always on the defensive. And you're on the defensive if, if you buy into a premise that somebody sets up for you that you didn't. And that's why I'm just like... I don't buy your premise. You can lay out your shit all you want to me, but I don't buy your premise that abortion is murder. Um, And if you think it's murder, you don't get to make jokes about it. Right. Because I think that that's actually really creepy. If you actually think this is all terrorizing and murder and genocide and all this shit, and then you're like, here's my wacky shirt or here's my joke. It's like, nah, nah, you don't get to do that because I wouldn't be joking about like, you know, the Sudan or, or some shit happening. Like, I don't joke about that. Um, so I get to make jokes because I don't think it's murder, you know, and people are like, yeah. how can you make jokes about abortion? I'm like, because it's just I'd make jokes about any procedure I had, you know? Yeah. So I don't really care, you know? So when people are like, how many, like this guy one time said to me, how many abortions have you had? I'm like, I don't know. I don't save receipts. And then <laughs> was like, I was like, is it? <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> but it's great. Yeah, I care. I've had three abortions. I don't care. Like, I don't want to be pregnant three times. I feel like it's a miracle in all of the fucking I've done that I only got pregnant three times. It's sort of shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good. It's good. It's like, but it's it's sort of this whole thing of like, what does it even matter? And it's not, it, it, it has no bearing on anything. And, um, you know, it's, it's just weird to me that this is still a fight and yet, and, and it seems to be getting even more of like even more of one as we grow, as like we grow older, as I grow older, it's even worse. And like, even I'm like finding myself like still fighting for this with younger people and with younger women. Like, I'm like, what is happening to revolution or what is happening to feminism? And like, I used to think, well, this was a fight of from, you know, like I would never, ever think to question an older feminist. I would never question older feminism. (laughs) Like I would be like, older feminists are so right. Uh, And then like now I'm questioning younger feminists. Like what the fuck is it? (laughs) What's wrong with you? Yeah, where well, is everybody, you know? Yeah. And and it's like for me, and my, it was like, you know, I felt I had kind of moved on to just being generally political. And then um, about 10 years ago, when all these laws started happening, I, rem- I was I was talking to this black woman who worked at a clinic. And she said, 
well, part of the reason we're here is because privileged white people who had abortions just stepped off and they didn't realize that other people need to have abortions and a lot of people use our clinics and that's their primary health care in their communities. And she was like, until everybody can step away from their abortion and just be like, go out their lives, everybody needs to fight to make sure that it's happening. And I was like, mm-hmm. that is fair. You know what? I did exactly what you said. And it was really jarring for me to think about the fact that uh, I just walked away from something kind of assuming it was going to be there for other people, mm-hmm. realizing that, you know, no one's fighting. If, if it's not us, who? But there's some super rad young people and super rad badasses who have uh, reignited in a way that is, I feel really hopeful because mm-hmm. I feel like they're not backing down. They don't have the shame. They don't care about how they're perceived. They care about righteousness. And mm-hmm. I love that makes me feel really happy that's good that's good it's really good because we can't let it go we can't let it go we can't let it go backwards and it can't like but you know i do like i watch the handmaid's tale and i'm like is this is is this what's going to become if this if this is like it does feel like it's realer than ever like you look at like trump and you look at like what's going on and and you look at like i look at the anti-vaxxers and i just think I think we could get there so easily. We could get yeah, there well, so easily. Well, even like the Supreme Court heard this week of the first week of May, just heard a case where the Trump administration wants to expand the birth control mandate to any boss or any company who, is, who feel morally opposed to birth control to be able to take it out of an insurance plan of their employees Mm. um, because of religious conviction. Mm. And we just heard, you know, that Hobby Lobby case a couple years ago Mm -hmm. where I guess Hobby Lobby decided it was a Christian craft store, which I don't even know what the fuck that means. I don't know. What is it? What what do you sell there? Two by fours? Like what is that? (laughs) But, um, you know, decided that because of their religious conviction, they didn't want to have birth control in their uh, plans and that it, it applied to you know those who could prove that they had a, more, a religious conviction, which I think is bullshit in and of itself. But now, they this the government wants any corporation to have to without having to prove anything, just say I'm morally against this. And so, too bad for you. You're going to have to go find birth control on your own. And it's like you know, and like Ruth Bader Ginsburg was like, but wait. The whole point of this is we have a preventative medicine that several sexes enjoy the benefits of. And then one person, the people with the uteruses, have to bear all the burden of of pregnancy. And so we should make it free since everyone benefits from it. Like that is just how that should go. And they're like, yeah, we just don't think that it's, again, we don't think that it's essential. And and if somebody's offended by having to have that, it's like, they don't have to have it. This is the part I don't understand. You don't have to take the birth control. You don't have to get the birth control. You don't have to see the birth control. Like your employee isn't like having their IUD done in the break room. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand. And yet they're just trying to, with every law, that puts agency on a fetus or agency on the boss or whatever, it's taking away the agency of women. Every one of these mm-hmm. laws 
takes away our rights in lieu of giving rights to things that aren't born, people who pay us, what the fuck? Like yeah. it's wild. So you're to your point. Yeah. Handmaid's Tale is kind of here. <laughs> We're getting it's coming. It. It's coming. Yeah, for sure. And you can't unless we want to stop it, you know, and yeah. that's what we got to do is we just have to stand together in solidarity and we have to stand together in solidarity and also like cis men got to step up too because full emancipation means that people are standing up for your rights um because it's because it's a human rights violation and it's not a women's issue or whatever issue like everyone mm-hmm. needs to stand up for it and treat it for what it is which is believing that the full humanity of people needs to be valued and it's our constitutional right. We're not anyone's property in any way, shape or form, not even a little. Yes, that's so right. You're right. We are so, we are so, we are so our own. We, we need agency and we need our rights. That's, that's right. hundred percent. That's right. That's right. I well, know. You're the best. You're the best. You're the best. I'm so excited to be on. And I, 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 I took a shower for you. I was feeling very good and I feel squeaky clean and you we have a best. super good conversation. I know. And I'm thank hoping, you. I'm hoping that we can, um, when all this is over, we can see each other and just like chill out. I want to chill out in your backyard where you are. I know. Well, I would love that anytime. And where can people find you and your uh, organization and, and find out all about it and your handles and all of that? All of that. You can find me on all the handles at Liz Winstead. I spell my name with two Z's. Um, you can find my organization at abortion, abortion front. You can find out and you can like, there's so many ways to hang out with us. Our activism is we lead with fun. We lead with humor and we lead with righteous disruption. So if you feel like you just want to get your shit out there and you want to laugh and have fun, like we are your crew. And, um, you know, we make the lives of independent abortion providers better. We make the lives of people who need abortions better. And we make your life better if you are somebody who is anywhere in that uh, continuum. So at Abortion Front on all the places. Thank you, Liz. Thanks, Margaret. It's taking over my dreams, waking me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart. The Margaret Show is an Erios production with editing by Tracy Levy and original music by Garrison Starr. Never miss an episode of The Margaret Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Erios. Powered by ACAST. 
Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.